Thank you for tuning in. This is the Fit Minute Podcast, where we talk all things health, fitness, and lifestyle. And now for the show. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar, and on today's episode, I have Madison Mazeo. We are just going to talk about her today and her journey through eating disorder. I think this is super important because uh, I think a lot of people have disordered eating or eating disorders, and uh, it's something we don't really talk about a lot. We talk about dieting and exercise, but disordered eating is a huge, huge issue uh, that we just don't really touch on a lot. So welcome to the show, Madison. How are you doing? today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to talk about this because uh, I really want to talk about your journey and what you have been through and kind of how you how you really recognized all of this and have come out so much better on the other side. And I, I'm really proud of your journey. It's it's a really, really tough thing uh, to to master and to to be well (laughs) to be well because food is something that we have to have it's not something that we can give up like drugs or alcohol it's something you have to have every single day so you're you're confronted with this on a daily basis so uh, tell me a little bit about your journey where this started where this disorder eating disorder started what what happened and your journey from there Absolutely. Okay. So with eating disorders, I like to say that it's kind of like a perfect storm. So there's like a biological component. Um, there's a sociocultural component and a behavioral component. So for me as a child, I had anxiety, diagnosed anxiety at like eight. I, my mom says I showed signs of anxiety since I was like three. So I'm definitely like hardwired for anxiety. Um, and and a lot of us, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, and so actually in first grade, um, as my name being Madison or Maddie, the kids rhymed Maddie with fatty. And that was the first time I vividly remember like being aware of my body. Um, and so I went home and I, I saw diet stuff all the time, even just as a first grader, because it was on TV, it was in magazines. And so I asked my mom if I could go on a diet and my mom was never, never talked bad about her body, never told me anything bad about my body. She was so great, but she was like, yeah, okay. Like whatever, like, sure. You know? So I like vividly remember like picking out baked chips and low fat things, you know, the late nineties, um, <laughs> idea of what dieting was fat um, free, fat free, low yeah, fat, so fat free, hundred <laughs> calorie packs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it wasn't like a real diet. It didn't stick. I, but I was always thinking about my body and food from there. Um, and so then come high school. And again, I reject some guy um, and he goes around and there's a new nickname and it's thunder thighs. And there's all these comments about my body again. And so this time I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to lose weight. And this was the era of the master cleanse. Um, do you remember that mm-hmm. one? Okay. Yep. Yes. The, the cayenne pepper and the um, lemon juice. So I always call that as like my gateway drug was the master cleanse because that was the first time 
I lost weight, weight fast, like water weight. Um, and I got a lot of comments and compliments and I really got into, um, seeing the number drop. And I was also somebody who was very perfectionistic, a people pleaser, um, had all of those traits um, that we now actually know are very common in people who uh, end up developing anorexia. Um, About how old were you at this point? 16. Okay. Yes. And so um, it ends up being a super slippery slope and I become obsessed with calories and losing weight. It's summertime, um, swimsuit siege then, and I come back to school. I've lost a significant amount of weight. I won't get into numbers just in case anybody gets triggered by that. Um, And everybody gives me so many compliments. I get so much attention and I just, it's how much better I look. And I just start really feeling like I'm so good at something and just keep going, 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 um, until I pass out on the football field. Cause I was a water girl. <laughs> um, and the, um, ambulance comes, my heart rate's way dangerously low. They have to admit me. Um, at this time, my parents were actually looking at treatment centers for me because I, I, at this point was like, I'm going to do what I want. You know, I'm an adult at 16 um, and um, they admitted me into UCSD, um, San Diego's treatment center at Radies Children's Hospital. And I started treatment um, kicking and screaming, like just didn't want I knew and I knew nothing about eating disorders. I was like, no, like this is just who I am. This is my identity. Um, but then I learned a lot about eating disorders and so did my parents. And I learned really um about the stigma and the shame. And so I had told everyone at school that I was, you know, on home hospital for a heart condition, which was kind of true. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and then, yeah, <laughs> it was part of yeah, yes. picture. <laughs> um, but then after I, you know, weight restored and kind of learned about everything, um, I went back and I started spreading awareness and raising money and was really all about recovery. Um, And I wish this is where my story stops, Um, but unfortunately it is not. um, Well, we do know that relapse is a part of recovery. So (laughs) yes, yes. Recovery is not linear, but when you're still struggling with perfectionism, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to be the perfect recovered person and I'm, you know, the perfect recovered person. I'm raising money. I'm starting groups. Um, and college happens. Um, I go through a really significant trauma, um, develop PTSD, and I actually am introduced to cannabis as treatment for PTSD. Um, and it, it does work to numb symptoms, but then I start using it to the point where I'm numbing everything. Um, and I'm also gaining a lot of weight because I am eating everything because I'm really hungry and it's college. Um, It happens. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, and so I end up taking a job as a nanny. So the cannabis use has to go down obviously. Um, and so all the emotions and all the things that I just pushed away and numbed are coming up again. And so the only other coping mechanism that I have is dieting, but this time I'm going to do it right. I'm going to diet in a way that I'm not going to relapse. It's going to be, you know, I have been recovered for years now. 
I know what an eating disorder looks like. And so sneaky little eating disorder completely transforms. Um, and so now instead of just counting calories, I'm focusing on how pure foods are and that I'm having the healthiest of food. And so first it's that I'm eating whole foods. Then I'm vegan. Then I'm vegan keto. <laughs> Then I'm vegan keto intermittent fasting. And basically what I'm doing is I'm restricting, but I'm, I'm doing the socially acceptable ideas of restriction. And again, my weight is going down, down, down. Exercise also wasn't a problem initially um, with my eating disorder. It was purely restriction. This time I am cardio, cardio, cardio. I am running miles of miles a day. Um, I had initially started lifting weights, but then I was so emaciated that lifting weights was impossible. Um, and I also was better at hiding it now. So if I'd visit home and the whole time I was home, I would binge because my, to show my mom that I was healthy. And then I'd go back to work and just restrict for days on end and be like, Oh, it's balance. Um, right. right. So, yeah. And so my eating disorder, again, um, especially cause I was away from home. So my mom, you know, didn't have the same way of monitoring me. She was in California. I was in Arizona. Um, again, it got so severe to the point where there was nights where I literally thought my heart was going to stop. I was scared out of my mind and I had another really scary medical situation. And finally I was so miserable because all my whole brain was just calories and losing weight. And my body image was getting worse and worse, even though like the scale was getting lower, I was freezing. I was just so miserable. And I finally called my mom and I was like, I think I've relapsed because I was convincing myself this whole time. No, this is different. This is a diet. This is a part of dieting is you just feel like crap. Um, and my mom who has a really important job in San Diego packed up her Prius and drove right to Arizona and took me to the hospital. Um, and so then I moved back home, went to treatment again at UCSD. And I also had been diagnosed with orthorexia, which is um, kind of a bestie of anorexia. And it's an <laughs> obsession with healthy food. Um, and I really had to kind of deal with trauma, deal with, you know, I, it was kind of like a refresher on the old coping skills that I had learned initially, um, deal dealt with shame. And then, um, during this time, I also really started diving into self-compassion, which is not something I'd ever, even the first time around, I just ignored that. I was like, I can still hate myself and be recovered. I can still hate what I look like and be recovered but absolutely not. I wasn't dealing with the perfectionism and the low self-worth and the people pleasing. Um, and so once I started building boundaries and like seeing value, my entire world transformed. I saw the world. I, I also added gratitude practice and that seriously, I feel like rewired my brain as well, as well as, you know, gaining weight and being able to think about something other than food. And so I, again, was super vocal though. It took a little bit because there was a lot of shame about relapsing. Um, but I accepted that recovery wasn't linear and I went back to school because I realized that I kind of like, didn't really pick, a passion. Cause I was like, I'm not good enough for anything. Um, and I was like, no, like I really want to help people. Um, art was really healing in my recovery as well, especially when it came to trauma. So I learned about art therapy and it took a lot extra schooling cause I had to do, um, prerequisites. My undergrad was in kind of like communications marketing. Um, so I did do a bunch of psychology prerequisites, art prerequisites, and I just graduated officially with my master's. 
Congratulations. Thank you. It's definitely been a long journey. Um, uh, yeah, about 11 years, but um, here I am. That's, that's a pretty amazing journey. I think, you know, sometimes it takes a lot for us to realize where, like the direction that we want to go. And sometimes it takes us going through things ourselves for us to realize what, how we can help other people, you know, and it's, it's realizing that life is not linear, right? Mm -hmm. You know, your, your life is not, your job's not linear. Your family's not linear. Your nothing, your weight is not linear. You're going to go up and down. You're, you cannot maintain everything all the time. It's just not the way life is. And I think that we have this idea of being perfect, this idea of being perfect all the time, perfect in business, perfect in our job, perfect in our relationships, like this, this fairy tale life that just doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. It's not reality. We have to live here in reality, understand that things aren't always going to be great, but they always get better, you know, and, and having a positive view of ourselves, a positive view of the world around us, even if the world is blowing up around us, (laughs) things change and things change quickly. Right. So anyway, it's, it's great that you have taken such a a terrible situation in your life and turned it around to such a positive thing. I think that's really, really admirable. Thank you so much. I I really think that like one of the major things too in my recovery was figuring out what my values really were. Like I had always been someone that I'm like, I'm a girl's girl. I'm a feminist. I'm like body positive for everybody else. Right. And so realizing like, am I living within my values? If every birthday candle is just wishing to be skinny and smaller and taking up less space, like, am I living within my values? If I'm not talking to myself, like I talk to my friends, like, I don't care what like people's weight is. Why do I care what my weight is? And why do I want people to see me as small when there's so much to me, um, like my kindness or my creativity that is, way more important for me for people to see. I love that. I, I, I have really spent a lot of time the last few years, uh, really understanding my values as well. I, I've always been very firm on what my values are, but it's placing those values and setting boundaries. Yes. Kind of like those two things you have to work together on too. Like, these are my, these are my values. This is my, my belief in myself. This is what I want, but this is my boundary, you know, and you have to set that boundary for yourself. Like, this is my value. This is how I feel about myself and my worth and what I want and how I want to be, but this is my boundary and how, how I want you to feel about me. I don't care what you think about me this is what I think about me. And you have to have those two things in line before you can kind of have balance between, between that, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's an interesting kind of pattern that once you kind of get those two things in line, things kind of fall more into place and, and understanding what your values are. That's, I totally believe that. And I think it takes a lot of self-reflection, which people don't want to do, like looking in the mirror and going, 
uh, <laughs> what do I feel about this? How do I think about this? Like, ugh, you know, sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes it's not pretty to, to look at yourself and, and see what you really think and what you really feel about yourself. Sometimes it's pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like having the self-compassion, like with the imperfection, like even in recovery or my day-to-day when I'm like cha- reframing. So going from like, ugh, that was very perfectionistic or like, ugh, I'm having a bad body image day. Like, why can't I just like accept myself? Like changing that to like, I'm having a bad body image day. What can I do to, you know, be gentler with myself, you know, and reminding myself that recovery is not perfect and growing as a person is not perfect. I am working on saying no and setting boundaries, but sometimes it's, you know, not going to be perfect. And what, what can I learn from that? Absolutely. And it's also that kind of the education and, and learning the process of knowing your triggers, knowing, uh, knowing how to cope when those triggers happen, have having the coping mechanisms to understand, understand that, okay, I'm having a bad day and I'm, can I go and binge or do I want to not eat today? No, I don't want to do that. And, and that, I mean, that goes for any sort of anything. I mean, people who have anxiety, people who have, you know, addiction with anything, you have to have, you have to have the knowledge and understanding of those things. Otherwise you don't know how to cope period. And it's, it's definitely, it's definitely hard. I mean, life is hard. So you, you need to, you need to have understanding and compassion with yourself more than anything, more than anything for sure. And I think the more you do with yourself, you also start having that with others. It really builds empathy and connection. And that's what I've really seen with sharing my story. Like, um, I can't believe how many other people, you know, are like, oh yeah, I went through that too. Oh yeah. I had those same slim fast cans (laughs) or like, I have nothing tastes like skinny feels stuck in my head forever (laughs) rent free because of, you know, hundred percent. Well, I think, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this, but when you were going through what you were going through, you, you kind of felt like you were not on an Island. You were alone on an Island. Nobody could understand you. Nobody could relate to you. Nobody knew what you were going through. Right. And then obviously now when you share your story and everybody's saying, Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, I felt the same way. You're like, I never knew. I never knew that you felt the same way. I never knew that you had, that other people thought this. You know, it's, that's kind of, it's kind of part of the journey is when you share that and other people are around you, you're building that community Mm -hmm. that helps you to be successful in your recovery. It's, yeah, that's one of the reasons I did start this podcast is because I share a lot of stories about people who have gone through so many different things, you know, with abuse or extreme weight loss or weight loss surgery or, you know, and anything, you know, addiction that, that it's sharing what they went through that people can go, oh yeah, I've totally been there, you know, and and it relates to a lot of people that, that you don't, you don't think you relate to because when you're on that island, you don't think anybody can understand what you're going through. Absolutely. It is so isolating. I feel like addiction in general, that that's kind of what keeps it alive is the secrecy, the hiding, the, 
the lying or the, you know, trying to shield people from what you think is just like such a wrong part of you. Shameful. Shame. Shameful. Yes. It's sad that there is a lot of shame in it when really at the end of the day, if you come out and say, I have this problem, I need help, that the that a lot of people will rally around you and support you because they love you and want to see you be healthy and see you be alive rather than see you die or see yeah. you, you know, suffer. It's it's really sad. It's really sad to see people go through that. I you know, I, it's that's a hard hard journey, and it's I, I'm really it sucks that people have to go through that, and especially at such a young age, having to deal with, you know, thunder thighs. I know. I mean, I we've all dealt with it, but how we how we how we deal with trauma in different ways, you know, how that, how something like that can trigger us to go down that road. It's a very, very slippery slope, but in your recovery, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, touching on, uh, we had mentioned, uh, red flags. So I wanted to kind of touch on that for anybody that has gone or is going through recovery, some red flags for people going through recovery. Can you tell us a little bit about that and things that you've experienced or things that other people might experience when they're going through that? Yes. So actually during my first round of recovery, uh, before I got to that, like tipping point of going to the hospital, um, my mom was like, okay, if you don't want to get, go through treatment, you at least have to talk to a therapist or to a nutritionist. And so I go to this nutritionist, um, that my mom finds on, you know, Google and she lets me continue a super restrictive eating pattern, but it's not nothing. Thus she's like, yeah, at least you're, you know, eating some almonds or whatever. Um, which again, just kind of enables my eating disorder more. And the problem was is she had no experience in eating disorders and my mom didn't know what to look for. She was just like nutritionist trust, like something to help <laughs> yeah. on my person. So red flags for sure. in recovery are people that don't specifically say, um, eating disorder, uh, specialist. Um, I, this is also something to look for in doctors. Unfortunately, um, most doctors get about two hours in eating disorder training. Um, and a lot of the experience with people in treatment I've had is that they were told, uh, they didn't have an eating disorder because they didn't have a low BMI, even if they had lost a significant amount of weight to where had other health problems. Um, they were told that, um, their eating disorder wasn't that bad. And it's usually because someone isn't informed. So if someone's in recovery, I think the number one green flag to look for is eating disorder specialist. Um, and that goes with dietitian, therapist, um, treatment center, et cetera. Um, and, and I think too, another big red flag is anyone that tells you, you can still healthily lose weight in your eating disorder. Um, I think it is, that's a very kind of risky. I always kind of compare for me, a diet is like an alcoholic casually drinking. Um, it just, my brain can't do it. It's always going to like, no matter what, it's going to keep pulling me in. Um, and everybody's treat, you know, recovery is different, but it seems that the research shows that like focusing on weight loss is a real slippery slope. So it definitely is like a red flag proceed with caution. If somebody says that, and it's usually somebody that 
thinks that people in larger bodies can't have eating disorders, which is absolutely false. So what do you do? What do you do in your life to stay healthy, eat, eat well, and still be well and not go in that direction while you are in recovery? Well, not in recovery, but after recovery. Yeah. So, um, one of the things is for me, intuitive eating was really helpful for me. It was, uh, I read the book intuitive eating and I really learned about it. Um, and I learned about intuitive eating with gentle nutrition. So I focus on what I add to my diet. So I add fruits and vegetables and grains and fiber and probiotics. Um, and I don't focus on cutting out anything. So, um, I, eat mostly plant-based, but I, I don't have any rigidity because rigidity is my slippery slope. Um, I don't count calories. Um, I don't weigh myself. And those are things that I know are kind of my triggers and, um, kind of protect my peace and keep me balanced. Um, I make sure I have rest days when it comes to movement. And, um, I found movement that is very much more about, um, moving my body mindfully Pilates, um, and, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do cardio once in a while, but again, I'm, I'm very much intuitive and intentional with my movement, just like, um, with my body or with what I nourish my body with. Um, and I also make sure that like, I honor and enjoy the foods that fuel my soul, just like the foods that fuel me from a nutritional level. So like, um, my family, it's half Italian, half um, Creole. So very much like gumbo and beignets. And so at Christmas, we had all the fried Cajun seafood um, and all the pasta. And those are cultural meals. I think one of the other mo- most important things I learned in recovery is that food is not just fuel. It's community, it's culture, it's art. I fell in love with cooking. Um, and so that's another way that I really stay balanced is, you know, I make a lot of nutrient dense foods, but also fun foods that are delicious. And you do cooking classes too now. Yes. Yes. So actually I just started doing that. And um, my master's thesis was on cooking as a medium of art therapy and kind of seeing the potential of cooking um, in eating disorder treatment, trauma treatment. And so that's where I really am wanting to take, um, my career and explore that, which is kind of, it's definitely a new, um, new kind of emerging thing. So I'm really excited to be on yeah. that. I see a lot of your like, po- you know, a lot of your like food stuff and posts on your Instagram. And it's always like, Oh, that's so fun. I like to share a lot of it. Cause you know, it's food. I love food. Yeah. And you're right. <laughs> food is art. Food is community. And, you know, I'm like Croatian, Slovenian, Eastern European. So like food for us is like food, like we yeah. love food, <laughs> you know, like we grew up around food and com- family. And that's just like, it's just what you do. Like a whole loaf of bread on the table. Like we just eat, you know, like, yeah. so it's just, uh, it's really, really important to us as, as a community, as, as family, you know, when we go back to Europe, it's, that's what you do. You sit and you eat and like ice cream in the morning is like a big thing, like ice cream and coffee. Like what's so cool. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing. Like all the ice cream shops are open at like (laughs) 6am. I don't really care for ice cream in the morning, unless it's in my coffee, ice cream in my coffee and affogato is like, 
yes, <laughs> all day long. But anyway, uh, so if people want to follow you, they can follow you on Instagram at sunshine and softness yes. and they can find your little adorable cooking classes. And uh, is there anything else you want to leave us with today? Leave our listeners with that you feel is super important or um that you want that you want people to know about eating disorders or about you or just anything in general? Um, I think it's really important for people to know that if you're struggling with um, disordered eating or an eating disorder, your struggle is valid. You do not need to be in a certain body. You do not need to have certain symptoms or even if you're just in pain and suffering, there is help and you don't need to be sick enough. Um, there is such a freedom and light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and there's so many more support and resources out there every day and recovery is possible and it's not linear, but it's the best. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I mean, eating disorders can even be something like chewing your food and spitting it out or like, (laughs) even if you're not losing weight or extreme losing weight, just restricting your calories or, throwing everything out and, you know, doing a extreme restriction diet and then binging and purging. Like there's so many different, there's so many different sides to it. So you don't have to be miserable in your everyday, like food is food and you have to have a love, a love for yourself and a love for something that you need to survive. Right. Yes. And then also if your brain is being taken up so much with calories or food, if it's overtaking your life, think of all the other things that could take up that brain space that could really make your life fuller. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Well, I'm really proud of you for all that you've accomplished. And I hope that you can help a lot of other people recover and stay recovered for the rest of their lives and really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much, Gabby. And thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you everyone for listening and we will see you all next week.